Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, open the lips of this servant that your words might flow forth and that in hearing them we might be transformed more into the image of the Christ we serve and in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It's wonderful to see you out. I had a number of people during this last week who suggested, well, maybe we should just close the doors on Sunday. After all, it is the 4th of July, and everyone will be at the parade. I knew that wouldn't be entirely true. There are some who are held prisoners in their homes by the parade this morning, so they wouldn't be out, but you are here, and we appreciate your faithfulness today. I want to first call your attention back to the reading from the Old Testament, and then I want to spend just a few moments reflecting on this day that we celebrate, not just uh, the, the Lord's Day, the Feast of the Resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, but it is also our nation's birthday, Independence Day. First, hear, hear. Yes, indeed. First, back to the reading from the Old Testament, and the story of Naaman. You remember in the story that Naaman is a commander. He's a commander who is held in high regard. He's entrusted by the king with leadership, and he is a very successful leader. He has led armies into battle. He is held in high regard. But, as we know, he has leprosy. One of the servant girls in his household remembers that there is a prophet by the name of Elijah. And she knows that her her master, the commander, Naaman, were he only to find an audience with Elijah. She believed wholeheartedly that Elijah could cure him of his leprosy. Now, there are two things that I see in Naaman, two driving uh, character aspects of Naaman. One, he is somewhat uh, of an egotist. When he arrives in the the company of Elijah and Elijah comes out, what is Naaman's expectation of how he's going to be healed? Do you remember? Personally, okay. He thinks Elijah's going to come out and wave his hands call down some magic power from heaven and he's going to be healed because, the word says, Naaman thought of who he was. Because I am who I am, surely the prophet will for me do something unusual. But that's not what he got. When he's a bit dismayed by the fact that the prophet instructs him to go and to dip in the river Jordan seven times. He doesn't like that at all. This isn't what he expected. This isn't the healing that I came anticipating. And so he leaves in somewhat of a huff. But his servants pull him aside and say, now, now master, if the prophet had asked you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? Therein is the second character aspect of Naaman that I want us to consider, and that is that he was a man who was accustomed to getting things done. Didn't matter what the challenge, he could rise to the challenge, he could meet the challenge, he was confident. If you tell me, prophet prophet Elijah, that it can't be done, get out of the way, I'm going to make it happen. That's his attitude. 
He knew what he could do. He knew what he could accomplish. And he thought that the prophet would recognize him for the the powerful man he was and certainly bring the healing in the way that Naaman had anticipated. What Naaman learned is that at some point he had to humble himself and realize that God's answers to his problems were not always going to be in the way that Naaman expected. And when he humbled himself and he came to that place of yielding to the instruction of the prophet and went and dipped himself in the Jordan those seven times, he was healed. Expectations play a big part in how we, how we relate with the situations and circumstances of our lives and how we experience the healing and the help of God. Keep that in mind for just a moment. This is Independence Day, the day when in the United States of America we commemorate the signing of the Declaration of Independence. July the 4th, 1776, 234 years ago. Can anybody tell me how many signers there were of the Declaration of Independence? Eight. How many? Thirteen. There were thirteen colonies. How many signers of the Declaration of Independence were there? Pardon? There were 56. Very good. All right, we have some scholars over here. 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence. Now, I don't say this for you to be impressed, at least not consciously, but I did take some time this past week And I read short biographies of all 56 of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Are you impressed? Yeah. Okay, good. Short biographies. Some of them shorter than others because some of them we really don't know too much about other than that they signed the Declaration of Independence. Now, I was noting of the signers, there were six by the name of George, there are six by the name of Thomas. There are six by the name of John. And there are six by the name of William. And just like St. Wilfred's, there was only one Charles. <clears throat> but there was one Charles. And for what it's worth, just to be fair, no Michaels whatsoever, so... As I was reading through these short biographies, I was struck by just how diverse a group these signers were. Some of them were born here on this continent. Others were born in England or Ireland or Scotland. Some of them came to this country, this, this continent, in, with families Some of them were very well educated. Some of them private education. Some of them were in apprenticeships. Some of them had no formal education whatsoever. Some of them were entrepreneurial types. Some were lawyers. Some were doctors. Some were merchants. At least one was an orphan who found his way in this world. Fifty-six different 
signers. Were you to look, I, I can't help but think of one signature on the Declaration of Independence after we read through the, uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians today when he talks about the signature. See how large I write? Who does that remind you of? John Hancock on the Declaration of Independence. These men who signed that document did so because they had a deep belief in what was about to transpire on this continent. They had a sense of mission and purpose that was more than simply they were, they were adding their name to a petition. Like today, if we go to the supermarket and we're handed a clipboard, would you sign this petition? This meant much more to the signers of the Declaration than just adding their name to a list of people who believed a certain way. The last line of the Declaration of Independence reads this. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we, the undersigned, mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. That's, that's impressive, you know? And it's not just words. Those were not just words. There were men who put their lives and their livelihoods at stake to advance this cause that they signed on to 234 years ago today. Now, among those who signed, just a, just a few. There were two Roberts who signed. One of them, Robert Treat Payne, was known by his friends and colleagues as Robert the Objector. He would probably have a home in the, polit- in the political scene of the United States today. He didn't have very many ideas of his own. But whenever someone else stood up with an idea, a proposal, he against it. Okay? Be that as it may. That's how Robert Treat Payne was known. The second Robert who signed the Declaration of Independence was a man by the name of Robert Morris. And Robert Morris, when I read that last line of the Declaration, it talks about we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honors. Robert Morris, maybe more than any of the other signers, was responsible for the the funding of the Revolutionary War. He was a man who helped to create the financial structure that became the National Bank of the United States. He was largely responsible, almost single-handedly responsible, for building a reputation in Europe that made the United States this new fledgling country, something that was attractive to financiers and bankers in Europe. He, at several points during the course of the Revolutionary War, funded the troops and the care of the troops out of his own wealth. And at the age, I think, of 83, he died having exhausted his vast fortune died almost penniless. To him, that signature on the Declaration of Independence 
and the statement that says we pledge our lives, our fortunes, our sacred honor. It was not just lip service to an idea. This was truly pledging his life, and he gave that life in service to our country, as many others. What I want to drive home this morning is how important the honor and the the responsibility that went along with the signatures on that Declaration of Independence. In recent political times here in the United States, I'll uh, just conjure to your memory some in the Republican Party who, having had some ideological differences with other members of their party, some who were not following the ideological line, labeled some of those mavericks, if you will, rhinos, Republicans in name only. You've heard that, right? Now, I'm not here to say that, uh, you know, anyone should be anything politically other than true to your own heart and beliefs and prayerfully involved in the life of this great nation that we call home. But for these signers of the Declaration of Independence, the idea that any of them would sign on and be signers, participants of this declaration in name only was completely foreign to them. And it's, it's led me to think this last week as I've considered the lives of these men who signed the declaration. You and I wear various labels. And we, in some ways, sign off on those labels. A few weeks ago, ten weeks ago to be precise, ten weeks and three days ago to be precise, I pledged my love to the woman who is now my wife. We stood together on Catalina Island and pledged our allegiance to each other, our love for each other. Now you know, if you are here and you have a spouse or a significant other, being a husband, you cannot be a hino. A husband in name only. If you're a wife, it does you very little good to be a wino. <clears throat> a wife in name only. We know there's responsibility that goes along with those roles we play. If you are a parent, you know, being the parent of a child, you cannot be a pino, a parent in name only. You invest in this sacred trust that has been given to you, this precious treasure, these treasures that have been given to you by God. You have to nurture them and bring them up and equip them to live successfully in this world. You cannot be a pino. I wonder how many of us wear labels at at whatever aspect of our life, whatever venue or arena of our lives we happen to be, are we living 
that label in name only. Jesus addressed this to some degree in the gospel reading for today. And I'll call your attention to this passage from Luke again, just a few short lines. The Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he intended. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. It was Jesus' way of saying, I know that there are some who have followed me who are followers of mine in name only, who really aren't accepting that there is responsibility that comes along with following me. Remember the, way, the man who came to Jesus and said, Lord, I, I want to follow you. Jesus said, come and follow me. And he said, well, first, let me go back and, and say goodbye to my parents. Let me tend to my father. Let me go back and bury my father, actually is what he says. And Jesus responds, let the dead bury the dead. Come and follow me. Now, some listen to that and think that Jesus was being cruel. There's nothing in that lesson that says that the man's father was actually dead. Maybe he's saying, well, in another time, when it's more convenient, then I'll come and follow you. How many who wear the name of Christ say we are Christians are really just Chinos. Christians in name only. Do we accept that to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, means that the priorities that were His are ours? That we live in this world as Jesus would live in this world? If we're not accepting the priorities and the principles that were the fabric of the life of Jesus on this earth, we are really only Christians in name only. Week after week, we gather in this place and we proudly label ourselves as St. Wilfridians. The fact that you were here on the 4th of July bears testimony to the place in your heart St. Wilfrid's holds. You love this place. You were here week in and week out. It's a wonderful thing that you are here. But for some to say I'm a part of a parish, I'm going to be a part of this parish so long as I agree with what the rector preaches. I agree with what the vestry votes on. I agree with, and if not, I'll be a St. Jamesian or a St. Johnsian or something other. The labels we wear those things we sign off on say something about who we are and what we believe. And it's not just enough to sign off and say, I want to be associated with a group of people who look like this. I want to be associated with the people who are responsible and I want my life to count as theirs counts. How many of us were we asked to sign on any of those responsibilities, those labels we wear, if we were to sign off saying, I mutually pledge my life, my 
fortune, my sacred honor. How many of us would still sign on? But that's the call to which Jesus invites us. To be a follower of Jesus Christ. To be a part of the community of faith that makes a difference in our world. We're not all the same. The signers of the Declaration of Independence, some were lawyers, some were doctors, some were merchants. They came from all different walks of life. And they made different contributions, but they all made a contribution to the formulation of this nation we love so dearly. How would the world be different if we took as seriously the pledges we make as the signers of the Declaration took to the pledge that they made? How different would our world be? And I wonder if, unlike Naaman, instead of expecting or having the sense of entitlement that because I am an American, because I am a Christian, because I am whatever, there should be treatment in this way that I expect. Were we able to swallow our pride and know that God's plans are not always our plans and God's ways are not always our ways, but as we humble ourselves, that's where we find help and healing that we so desperately seek. May we this day, in whatever arena of life we may be considering, be more than that label in name only. And may we prayerfully and faithfully live that life of Christ as Christians, not in name only, to the glory of God. Amen.